Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 June movies in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? If you listened to uh, the previous month's uh, episode, Top 10 Movies, that I saw for the first time in May, uh, it was kind of a weak month. I didn't see a ton of things. Uh, I was fairly busy and and strung out for a lot of it. So um, ended up being, uh, you know, Top 10 Movies that none of them were, not even all of them were good. And I, you know, for an entire month. This month, a big improvement. Um... The main, the main issue this month is, you know, I'm looking at the movies here, and two, three, four, five movies um, don't make this list simply because I had seen them already. Uh, so, you know, some of the Toy Story sequels that I rewatched, um, The Little Mermaid, Avengers Endgame uh, shows up here, Despicable Me uh, makes a, an appearance, and... You know, uh, that's, uh, that is what it is. You know, as I had said before, I'm trying to rewatch some older movies that I haven't seen in a long time that maybe were improperly rated the first time they were put into the spreadsheet, or, or maybe even not improperly rated, but, but, uh, just haven't, um, need to be reassessed, I guess, uh, you know, time for a checkup kind of a thing. But we've got a bunch of movies that I did see for the first time that are, I thought were very, very good. And uh, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about them right now as we jump into my June top ten. Number ten, number ten film. I saw this June twentieth, two thousand nineteen. It's about eighty-five minutes long and is a twenty eighteen film. My brief summary. A mother protects her kids after their landlord sells their property. I gave this movie a 69. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, this is one... It's a 2018 film as far as Letterboxd is concerned, as far as I'm concerned, but it's probably a 2019 film by a bunch of other people's standards. It is directed by Patty Breathnock, starring Sarah Green, Mo Dunford, Ellie O'Halloran, Ruby Dunn, Dara... Mackenzie and Molly McCann, among others, and this is Rosie. Rosie. This is a indie film uh, drama. Uh, you know, the Sarah Sarah Green plays the titular Rosie, the mother, and their landlord sells their house, sells the property, and suddenly she and her kids uh, find her, themselves homeless. Uh, and that's kind of. Um, it's kind of the problem, you know, like, this is a movie that starts off on, on a very low note, starts off in a deep down, you know, downtrodden position, and I, I gotta, you know, credit this movie, uh, and particularly Sarah Green, who I think gives a fantastic performance, for really making it watchable, and, and making it engrossing, and making it easy to, to follow, and and easy to just lose yourself in, despite the sort of 
tragic origins uh, for the, for the film, because because that's not easy. Uh, you know, you think of other movies, and and I don't know that I can really pick any out of my head right now, but if a movie starts you off in a deep, depressing, dark place, um, and doesn't get lighter, doesn't you know get brighter, doesn't have a happy ending arc to it. Not that Rosie has or does not ha- has or doesn't have that. Uh, just that it's very difficult to to get to the point where the audience is willing to accept um, what you're doing and and what's happening when you start out that way. And I think Rosie makes it makes a great go of that and and really uh, shows Patty Breitnach, who uh, the director, who I. You know, I have only seen Rosie. Uh, there's a couple of other films of his that I'm... I've, I've recognized the posters for, but I'm not super familiar with. But uh, for the mo- you know, just kind of an unknown. Sarah Green, I'm somewhat familiar with. But, you know, this was a very... Just out of, the, out of nowhere kind of movie. And it, it turned out very good. Very, very good. So number number ten, number ten for June, is Rosie with a sixty nine. Sixty nine. Number nine. Number nine is a film I saw June twenty seventh, twenty nineteen. About eighty seven minutes long. A twenty eighteen film. My summary: A woman takes a sailing trip, and gets more than she bargained for. I gave this a seventy one. It currently has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is directed by Wolfgang Fischer, starring Suzanne Wolf, Gideon Odor Wakesa, Kelvin Matuku Ndinda, Inga Birkenfeld, among others. And this is a movie called Styx, S-T-Y-X. This is Partly in English, uh, partly in uh, German, um, perhaps more German than English. Uh, it's very close. It's very even. Um, Suzanne Wolf uh, plays, I want to say Rike, Rike is, is how it's pronounced, plays Rike. She is a doctor, and she goes on a trip, takes a solo boating trip, uh, something she's always kind of wanted to do. Uh, she's heading toward this small island in the middle of the Atlantic. And along the way, uh, she encounters... Hard to explain. It's it's a, a refugee boat, I guess, that when she passes by it and she sees it, there are people jumping off, there are people screaming, there are people... She, you know, you're, you're, it's a scene out of, you know, you don't have any idea, have any context for, um, she has no no clue what's wrong or what's happening or, or what to do, and she contacts the know, naval authority uh, or something, you know, whatever it is, and they tell her, you know, you can stand by and kind of like monitor things from afar, but don't intervene, we don't know, you know, if it was disease or you know her boat is not big she cannot possibly um you know save all of these people and and it would just cause a 
greater panic, basically. And where things really get interesting, you know, she obviously, she, she cannot, she, she's the kind of, you know, she's a doctor. It is her life, her job, her career to help people, and she can't stop herself. And one young boy is, you know, she finds him and, and kind of unconscious in the water and find, grabs him, pulls her in, pulls him onto the ship and uh, starts to take care of him. And as soon as he enters the picture, you know, I think the movie's fairly solid. You know, it's got a bit of an all is lost feel to it. Uh, but then as soon as the boy enters the picture, uh, things really start to escalate. And in a very compelling and dramatic way, I was riveted for much of this film. I do think that uh, it is... It's just... It's a very simple, straightforward story. uh, But it's just... It's told beautifully. It really is. And it looks good. Uh, Suzanne Wolfe is fantastic. And... You know, it's, it's just a... Very... Enjoyable little... I don't know if I'd even call. I don't know if I'd call it a thriller, but but a. Uh, I don't know, kind of a. Suspenseful. Drama, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I wish uh, probably a better way to describe it, but like kind of a suspenseful drama, and uh, it's got a heart. It really does. I, I. I think I think the biggest reason it doesn't get a higher score, from me, is. The boy, there are a lot, a lot of things with the boy that I really liked, but the thing, if I didn't like it, there were some things about him that I was really not on board for. Uh, I think some of his performance is, you know, he's kind of on the younger side, so he's definitely not as well-trained or, or well-versed in this kind of stuff as, as Suzanne Wolf is, but... You know, it, it's it's still mighty fine, mighty enjoyable. So that's sticks my number nine, with a seventy-one. Number eight, number eight. I saw this also on July or, or on June twenty-seventh, uh, two thousand and nineteen. Clocked it at about ninety-seven minutes from twenty eighteen. My summary, a girl juggles her family, her work, and her school without help from her mother. Gave it a 72. It's an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by James Gardner, starring Liv Hill, Shanid Matthews, Cyril Nuri, Angus Barnett, Barnett, Thomas Erm, Ames, among others. And this movie is called Jellyfish. It's another small film uh, you know, I, again, didn't really know a ton about it, kind of an indie movie, uh, but Liv Hill plays, uh, Sarah Taylor, who looks after her kids, she is a teen, um, and, you know, her mother is physically there, but, you know, doesn't help, doesn't do much, doesn't, you know, cook, clean, um, raise the family, help the family, bring in the money for the family. So uh, it's kind of tough, and Sarah has to do all of that herself. She works at an arcade, 
we see her looking after her kids, uh, after her brother or sister who she picks up from school and she can't even drive. You know, she has a bike and a wagon at the back of it. She does almost everything. She's she's way in over her head, and but she's she's doing her best to make it work. And she also has a drama teacher. I loved him. I thought he was fantastic in this. He was he was an unsung hero in this movie. Uh, but he is, you know, if if there's one part of her life that is absolutely suffering, it is her studies. It is her school. It is her you know education and. He is determined to either kick her out of the class because she's, you know, showing up late or not doing any of the work, uh, or you know, get find a real passion within her. And uh, you know, she has a caustic wit. She is quick to to turn on anyone and everyone, uh, and and just you know berate them verbally. And he sees this and decides, you know, hey, I want you to, he, he gives her some, you know, stand-up comedians to look into and uh, wants her to write, you know, a couple of minutes of stand-up. And it's, it's a weird sort of mashup of these two genres of, because, you know, stand-up comedy, but this is, you know, there's definitely some funny moments in this movie, but it's far more of a drama than a comedy and it is, you know, Sarah's played brilliantly by Liv Hill. And, and the complication throughout the film and, and you know, the, the film culminates, as you might expect, in, in a, you know, stand-up comedy set from, from Sarah. And it, it really does a great job of, you know, you know that's where this is headed. You know what's going to happen. But you don't know what the con- content is. You don't know how well the material is going to go over you know if it's going to if everyone's going to like it if it's going to hate it if she's going to be able to do it or not or what she's going to talk about and and so on and so forth and i I thought that final moment that that last third of the film is is so well done i think a lot i think some of the early parts are a little slow and repetitive uh but but when we you know we hit the back stretch i think gardner and and Liv Hill are firing on all cylinders to to pull off uh, sort of a kind of a surprise, really. You know, it, it it feels like a film that should kind of fizzle and 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 die out at the end. Uh, but I think it finds its it's really finds its footing and and breathes new life uh, at the in the last act, which is very exciting very exciting so yeah uh jellyfish jellyfish my number eight i gave it a 72 a 72 number seven number seven this is a film from june 20th i saw it june 20th 2019 it is 126 minutes so a little over two hours long it's from 2010 uh, my summary, a television producer gets married three times. I gave this a 73. It has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Richard J. Lewis, starring Paul Giamatti, Dustin Hoffman, Rosamund Pike, Minnie Driver, Scott Speedman, Rochelle Lefevre, Bruce Greenwood, Mark Addy, um, 
among others. This is a movie called Barney's Version. Barney's Version. Uh, this is this got some Oscar attention back in 2010. I never heard of it. You know, it was nominated for Giamatti. No, it was nominated for makeup. Uh, the movie takes place over a long period of time. Giamatti is Giamatti is great in it. Uh, it was an Oscar nominee for best makeup, and this is. A very curious film. It is wildly told and features, you know, a, a brash performance from Giamatti, followed, f- surrounded by, uh, you know, a wonderful host of supporting characters and, and performances. Uh, even Scott Speedman, who, you know, you put him in anything and he's, you know, milk toast, actually not the worst. Uh, you know, maybe you know he's not in too much of the movie, but I, I liked the you know his character and, and what he was given. Uh, the movie spans decades. Uh, Barney, Barney Panofsky is Giamatti's character, goes through heartbreak uh, and love and uh, marriage and divorce a couple of times over throughout the film and he's just such an asshole he is so such an asshole and if it weren't for you know Giamatti makes you know he makes him such makes him more of an asshole than he might even need to be but he gives him there's just a touch just a a small touch of of vulnerability of of sympathetic he's able to to draw you into him and i i think there's a lot to to really dig beneath and and scrape beneath and 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 discover about this character because he does seem very two-dimensional when we first get to know him and you know he's kind of a he just, you know, he goes through the motions and he gets married and he gets divorced and he gets married and he gets divorced and he gets married and he gets divorced. And yet, I think, you know, as we get deeper into who he is and what he's about and what he likes and what he cares for and what he treasures and values, you do get a better understanding of who he is and what he sees as, you know, kind of his purpose and what he wants for his himself and it's a very engrossing life story and you it's it's such a train wreck and yet you can't look away uh you really can't um he's it's brilliant i think one of the str- strongest acts, uh, aspects is the writing uh you've got michael uh conivis 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 maybe uh, I think is one of he wrote uh, the screenplay based on a novel by Mordecai Rickler, and yeah, yep, that's 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 about it. That is about it. Uh, I thought Rosamund Pike did a great job. I thought Minnie Driver was fantastic. Uh, Dustin Hoffman isn't really in the movie that much, uh, despite second second billing behind Giamatti. Um, Mark Addy, 
I think Mark Addy's character was was very strange. Uh, not that his character was strange, but just like the inclusion of him and that entire side plot was very weird to me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating character study, and I think that is its kind of bread and butter. Um, yeah, Barney's version, my number seven. My number seven uh, from twenty. 19 from June with a 73. All right, number six. We're going old school with number six. This is a movie I saw uh, June 5th, 2019. It's about 89 minutes, an hour and a half long. It is from 1933. We are really way back, decades, almost a century ago. Uh, my summary. A director puts on his final Broadway show with a chorus girl taking on the lead role. Gave this a 73. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Lloyd Bacon. It stars Dick Powell, Ruby Keeler, Warner Baxter, B.B. Daniels, George Brent, Guy Kibbe, Una Merkel, Ginger Rogers, among others. And it is 42nd Street. 42nd Street. Um... Nominated for two Oscars, two Oscars, uh, Best Picture, as well as Best Sound Recording. And 42nd Street, you know, is is an old, early 30s musical rom-com that, you know, this is, they made a bunch of these genre movies, and a lot of them... I don't know, they're just, they're kind of all over the place. I've seen some great ones. I've seen uh, very middling and, and poor ones. And and then 42nd Street is, I, I don't think it's in either of those groups exactly. It is definitely closer to, to the great side. But, you know, they, sound movies came out 20, 1929-ish. And this is four years after that. And... You know, they they musicals were a huge bit, huge thing at the time, and you, you couldn't really avoid it back then. And so, you know, it's 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 really Forty Second Street. I think one of the you know premier musicals of the time that finally kind of figured out how to do that and how to do it right you know you know when you're just kind of shoehorning music into a movie that's not enough you know we've uh, you know it's it's you need a little bit more than that you need to you know make it sound right you need to you know sync everything perfectly and 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 really combine all these elements because you know it takes a lot to make sure that you know this newfound technology this sound in your movies is is viable is reasonable is is doable and 42nd street perhaps one of the first to really do it correctly to really be successful with it um you know it, it's it, ruby keeler man uh ruby keeler this is her first film she she did not act before this movie to the best of my knowledge and you know this is a movie about movies about musical about musicals 
and Keeler kind of steps into this movie uh, she plays Peggy and she is just on fire I loved her in this I thought you know BB Daniels was also great you've got Dick Powell and Warner Baxter who are a lot of fun and uh, you know it's 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 just it's just the, the 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 best of these movies and you know there's a bunch of them I've liked others too you just it's just they're having a lot of fun with it and you write they you know you have to have right uh, competent characters that are fleshed out that actually have more than one dimension and this movie has that and you know this this kind of I don't know if it was the first but it was one of the first it established this this formula for these movies and they kind of took off and 42nd street i don't know if it i don't i haven't seen all of them so i I don't know if this one did it the best but it was certainly one of if not the first and it, it did it very very impressively um huge cast great great musical numbers and i i just i i had a blast watching it it's a lot of it's a very fun movie and and that is honestly the the best way i can describe it it's just so 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 much fun that's 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 really it you know it's you know it's pre-code it's quick quick pace uh great dialogue snappy witty uh fun and that's that's it 42nd street 42nd street one of the first great musicals uh, to come out of hollywood one of the first great ones 42nd street that is my number six from june give it a 73 moving on number five we're gonna stay back in the old days uh, with this one saw this also on june 5th uh 19 nope 2019 19 2019 uh it's about two hours long on the nose it is from 1940 1940 so almost 80 years ago my summary a reporter tries to expose enemy agents pre-world war ii give this a 74 has a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by one Alfred Hitchcock, and it stars Joel McRae, Lorraine Day, Herbert Marshall, George Sanders, Albert Basserman, Robert Benchley, Edmund Gwen, among others. And this is Foreign Correspondent. Foreign Correspondent. I've seen a bunch. I've seen many Hitchcock movies, uh, but the guy was very, very prolific. Uh, he's got 63 credits on Letterboxd. Uh, I don't know if all of them are feature films that, you know, count as part of his, you know, filmography, but I've seen 23. I've seen 23 of them. Still a handful left to check out. Uh, Foreign Correspondent was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Albert Basserman, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Special Effects. Uh, It was a huge hit, uh, critically, commercially, and it's a man it is a a i mean it's just a kind of a classic hitchcock film you know it's it's 
it's just at the cusp at the at the start of the European War. Joel McRae plays uh, John Jones, Johnny Jones, who's an American who is uh, reporting he he works for uh, a New York paper dispatch uh, and he travels overseas, travels to Europe in an attempt to kind of just get a fresh take on on what what's going on on this war on what's happening on on this developing conflict and and the rise of nazi germany and fascism and and so on and he kind of uh as you would expect in a movie like this he becomes kind of embroiled in everything (laughs) uh he gets tangled up in every single facet of of movies at the time uh there's assassination plots and spies and uh just just political intrigue and of course at the center of it all is uh a love story uh with with lorraine day as carol fisher and it's you know it's a lot this movie is is juggling and dealing with so many different elements and yet it is hitchcock's trained steady hand that is able to just you know just just really keep you focused keep you intimately connected to mccray to johnny johnny jones and as he you know kind of bumbles his way at this in one moment and then is feels like a an expert master spy the next there is one scene and this is the one that really sticks out uh that involves a windmill that is a just just perfect hitchcock you know i love he i, I quote from him you know if you if you, there's two guys sitting at a table and all of a sudden a bomb explodes from underneath the table You've, you've shocked your audience for a split second. But if you show them the bomb before the scene starts, then they're, you know, you've, then they're, then they're surprised, there's there's suspense, they're building, there's afraid, there's fear, there's all these emotions running through them until it explodes. And he, he's so, so good at this, at, at building tension, at building suspense. He's the master of it. And I, I love that, I butchered the quote, but I, lo- I love that idea, and, and the windmill scene is another brilliant example of, of his ability to do this. It's very, you know, not a lot of dialogue in the windmill scene. It's a very long scene, you know, maybe 10 minutes of the movie is, is this windmill scene where, you know, it's very much a single plot point. It is not a very um, deep moment, but... What he's able to do with it is is striking, is is surprising, is is impactful, and there's just so much going on. There, there, it's a lot of fun and and a lot to you know, it's 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 a demanding movie. Uh, that is what it is. It demands your attention. It demands your focus. And if you give it that, I think you know Hitchcock is very, very willing to reward you. And and definitely, definitely the 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 windmill scene is is a standout from Foreign Correspondent. So my number 
five. Are we really at five? 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five. Uh, foreign correspondent, which I gave a 74. I'm gonna come back into uh, the 21st century with uh, my number four, born uh, from, from June 25th, 2019. I, it's about 91 minutes long, hour and a half. It's from 2011. It's a foreign language film. My summary, an immigrant replaces a teacher that killed herself in her classroom. Uh, that's the first scene, so not exactly a spoiler. I gave this movie a 74. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I mentioned uh, that it is a foreign language film. Uh, it is directed, directed by Philippe Falardeau. It is starring Mohamed Falag, Emilien Neron, Daniel Pruhl, and Sophie Nelise. And this is Monsieur Lazar. Monsieur Lazar, it is a film that takes place in Canada, uh, Montreal. Uh, Monsieur Lazar, titular teacher who comes in to replace um, the, the teacher that commits suicide, is an Algerian immigrant. And he has his own demons in his past. Uh, he is seeking refuge in Quebec. And, uh, you know, he is, he is going through it. Um, he is also stepping into a classroom where, you know, the kids remember, their, uh, at least some of them that saw it, remember their teacher hanging from the ceiling over one of the desks. At, you know, like they, they remember exactly where it is. They're in the exact same room. You know, they've, they've you know, he ca they cannot escape this. And this is the kind of movie where I think just listening to the description of it, it, it can come across very melodramatic. Uh, it can come across very, you know, it kind of sounds like it would be silly and, and you know, uh, just, just much, just a lot, just, just overbearing and, and you know, it, it's, it's, kind of a you know a lifetime it, it has that potential to really veer into the lifetime uh, sort of genre and to to its credit and and to Fowler do and and you know he this is the second film of his I'd seen uh, after uh, the good lie which I don't think is that good either. I don't think it's that good of a movie uh, but Monsieur Lazar is is really walks that line perfectly you know it is a sim simple movie it doesn't try to you know reinvent anything in in its execution or in its presentation but it just it has very heartfelt and strong performances the kids in this man the kids in this are exceptional uh they have to carry such a heavy weight and and really expose and express a lot of emotions that you know, it's still it's difficult for some adults to to convey these things in some movies, and they are killing it. Uh, and then on top of that, you have Mohammed Filag, who I might be pronouncing that wrong, but who is trying to respect their feelings and and understand them, and you know, keep up with them while also trying to move on from it, trying to to grow from this experience and dealing with his own issues of 
I'm I gotta you know make sure I'm capable of staying here I have to obey these rules and this rule and that rule and uh, I have my own you know refugee situation happening and my own loss and he, he's got it's a lot he's carrying a lot and, and the movie is able to open up slowly and and come to this conclusion slowly and you know it's not a you know bring you up to speed this is what's happening this is where we're at it's a you know we'll we're gonna we're gonna ease you into this and they're gonna be parts of the movie where I don't fully comprehend I don't fully understand these motivations and and you know why I should care and, and as the movie develops as it unfolds as it opens it up itself up you you learn about uh, his his you know Monsieur Lazar his motivations his his past his characterization and that is I think just exactly how this needed to be told uh, to come to not come across as a little over the top as a little corny and I think it ultimately ends up being quite a quite a powerful movie because it is it takes such good care of its characters and its writing um yeah uh, Monsieur Lazar which if I'm not mistaken was also nominated for an Oscar for best foreign film uh yes best foreign language film uh, at the 2012 ceremony so my number four with a 74 Monsieur Lazar Monsieur Lazar. All right, we are in the top three. We're about to take a fairly substantial jump uh, in my rating. Number three, I saw it June 6th, 2019. It's 127 minutes, over two hours long. It is the longest film on this top 10 list. It's from 1982. Uh, my summary an alcoholic lawyer takes an easy settlement. To trial. I gave this an 81. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Sidney Lumet. It is starring Paul Newman, Jack Warden, James Mason, Charlotte Rampling, Milo O'Shea, Roxanne Hart, James Handy, among others. And this is The Verdict. The Verdict. Also nominated for a bunch of Oscars, five of them, including Best Picture. Paul Newman for Best Actor, James Mason for Best Supporting Actor, Sidney Lumet for Directing, and David Mamet for Best Writing. You've got a huge, huge cast, uh, a huge group of names, and and some really heavy hitters uh, from Mamet to Lumet to Newman. Lumet? 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 Uh, verdict, the verdict is... Man, it looks... You know, if I hadn't seen it, and and prior to seeing it, you know, it was something I was familiar with. I recognized the poster, seen it a ton of times. Anytime I look at Paul Newman, it's staring me in the face. And uh, Newman plays Frank Galvin, who, down in his luck, old lawyer guy who needs, I don't know, it's, it's tough to know what he needs. And... The movie goes through the motions to try to figure out what his um, just 
what his his ultimate goal is. I think that is that is one of the driving forces in this movie. And it at first I think it seems very simple, but the the deeper we get, I think the more complex and and convoluted it becomes. Uh, Galvin is you know over the hill. He's very old. His lawyer. He's uh, you know he drinks a lot. He takes on these these ridiculous cases you know he chases ambulances and whatnot and he's finally presented finally presented with a slam dunk it's 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 an open and shut case and everybody involved client uh, you know, the, the everyone on every side of this issue wants to settle, and Galvin has not not been very successful. He kind of needs this, and yet he he refuses. He he decides. You know what? Uh, this is no. I'm not gonna settle, and. He twists some words here, and he, he you know, does tells a few white lies there, and they end up going to trial, and uh, you know, people are upset, and and suddenly, what should have been a slam dunk becomes a mo- monumentous task. It is a a Herculean effort that is required to win this as a case, as opposed to just a settlement, uh, and that is fascinating. And and you know he's he's clearly you know a little out of his element. He he does not have what it you know what he had when he was younger. He is not the lawyer he used to be. He is not you know the detective, the researcher, the the intellect that he was maybe 30, 40 years ago. And yet we we are attached to him. We are sympathetic to him because he has this this mindset. He has this worldview. This this outlook that you can't help but kind of respect uh, and and I won't you know, I won't give it away but it, it does in my opinion make a lot of sense and so y- you know you're obviously rooting for him uh, but it's it's the film's success I, I think it's not success it's it's the film's um, craft perhaps is the better term it's its craft that absolutely puts it over the top and into this 80 range for me uh lumet's direction mamet's writing oh my goodness you know david mamet is is one of the best writers ever you know just just the untouchables glenn glare glenn gary glenn ross Hannibal, Wag the Dog, The Edge, State in Maine. You know, he has made some, he has written some absolute phenomenal films. Red Belt, uh, I'm sure there's a bunch here I haven't even seen. Uh, but he is, he is a really brilliant writer, and I think a lot, he, he really shines in this. Uh, It's 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 a redemption story, but it's a lot more than that. 
and I think this is some of Newman's best work. You know, I'm I'm pleased he was nominated. I man, he's got to be. You know, if he, he didn't win, but he's got to be. You know, one of the runner a first runner up or something because he is just on fire in this movie. Um, who did win this year? Let me see. Kingsley, Ben Kingsley won for Gandhi. That is what happened. That year you also had Dustin Hoffman for Tootsie, Peter O'Toole for My Favorite Year, and Jack Lemmon for Missing. I've seen four of those five performances now. Uh, man, that is uh, that is a murderous row of, of fantastic uh, performances, in my opinion. Um, hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. All right, uh, man, the verdict is great. Newman is outstanding. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, that's my number three from June with an 81. My number two, my runner-up for June, is an animated foreign language film. Uh, I saw this June 27th, 2019. It's 82 minutes long. It is the shortest film on this list. It is from 2001. My brief summary. A former actress reminisces about her career and lost love. I gave this an 86. It is a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Satoshi Kon. It stars the voice talents of Miyoki Shoji, Mami Koyama, Fumiko Orekasa, Shozu Izuka, Masaya Onosaka, Shoko Tsuda, among others. And this is Millennium Actress. Millennium Actress. Satoshi Kon uh, is the third film of his I've seen uh, behind Paprika and Perfect Blue. He also is the director of Tokyo Godfathers from 2003 and of a couple of other films. Millennium Actress is a trip. Oh boy. Uh, here's the here's the deeper, more complex premise. Uh, documentary filmmakers are tracking down a legendary actress, um, Chiyoko Fujiwara, who vanished uh, at the middle in the middle of her career. They find her and present her with an item that she lost when she was younger and upon seeing this item and upon you know learning the, you know getting some questions and things uh, she begins to tell these guys her story and, and what happened to her and how it came to be and this is why this is what makes animation so fascinating so compelling this is this is an example of it right here millennium actress we go back in time to see her memories and the filmmakers are in the memories interacting with these elements of the memories she is telling us the story while showing while we're seeing the story and these guys are within the story and yeah now you can do this with you know live action stuff but 18 years ago that you know kind of would have been crazy and and millennium actress there's so many different techniques and and styles and um you know you stretch to the limits of the animation and 
it, it just it's it flows and it moves and it works so brilliantly as we learn you know this what this this item represents uh for for chiyoko and and how her life has been affected by it and by its absence uh we go through these movies that she filmed and we see these recurring characters that show up uh under the guises of different people and it just it's it's super convoluted uh, absolutely but it is magnificent it is you know it's something that you probably need to watch twice uh i fully intend to see it again uh at some point it is at its core a, a very honest story uh it's very heartfelt you know Chiy- chiyoko's heart is is really the the main point of this movie it is about love and she drags all these other people into the story with her and it's it's kind of a magical experience you know the way that cone is able to sort of meld these techniques, meld these genres, uh, because, you know, we're going through old movies that she was in. Some of them are horror movies or, or crime movies or kaiju movies, and we we shift from one to the other so violently, and it is, it's this combination, it's this connection, it's this interweaving of techniques and of genres and of, you know, presentation that elevates the film and and really pushes it above the sort of typical story that it otherwise could have been if it was told a little you know far more generically you know there's nothing generic about this at all outside of if you break down what the absolute plot is of you know this is a woman she lost a love this is her telling that story that's the only generic element everything else is is uh, you know unique and spellbinding uh millennium actress i would say now here here i don't if you if you've never seen any of satoshi kone satoshi kone's films i found of the three i've seen i think paprika is the most viewer friendly it's been a long time since i've seen perfect blue uh, Paprika is is um, kind of like the anime Inception, uh, so I think it, it it's close to that. Um, maybe Perfect Blue is better though. It, it's a little older. Paprika is the newest of those three. Maybe Perfect Blue, then Paprika, then Millennium Actress. Because I man, I think Millennium Actress is. Uh, it's a lot to get through. It is a lot to comprehend, and so is Paprika. Paprika is Paprika is crazy too, but it's it's a very vibrant and joyous crazy, and I think that makes it a lot more fun and a lot more uh, e- a lot easier to parse through. Uh, Perfect Blue is very depressing, if I remember it well. Millennium Actress. It's. A heavy anime film it is you know if you don't like anime you're probably not gonna like this but it has a lot of great elements to it and a lot of good things going for it so number two runner-up millennium actress my number one 
I've talked about it I've on two episodes of the podcast already, so I won't go, you know, it just won't take very long. My um, number one, I saw it June 20th. It's 95 minutes long, 2019 film. My brief summary, a road trip reveals just how big the world is outside of the toy's house. Given a 92, it has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is Toy Story 4. Josh Cooley, starring the voice talents of Tom Hanks. A million people. I did the statistics episode. There are you know, 20 actors in this, if not more. I'll just reiterate, I had a, gr- a ton of fun with Toy Story 4. I think it's a lot, it's a really enjoyable movie. It somehow manages to tell a story that we didn't know we needed. And I think when you revisit the original trilogy, there's definitely this missing thread uh, that 4 absolutely wraps up. I'm very excited to see it for a second time. I think it earns its spot with, you know, to be called part of the Toy Story franchise. And if you want more, you know, go listen to the review episode uh, because I, I talk about it a lot there. That's it, though. That is my number one. I will run down the top 10 one final time here for you. Number 10, Rosie. Number 9, Sticks. Number 8, Jellyfish. Number 7, Barney's Version. Number 6, 42nd Street. Number 5, Foreign Correspondent. Number 4, Monsieur Lazar. Number 3, The Verdict. Number 2, Millennium Actress. And number 1, Toy Story 4. Those are the top 10 films I saw for the first time in June of 2019. Uh, We are just breaking into july uh, i am on vacation and there's going to be a lot of good movies a lot of good movies uh for july not mostly because i'll be watching a lot of old stuff for uh while i'm on vacation and not really going to the theater quite so much Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find more, you can head over to the website, circleoffilm.com. You can also find me on iTunes, Stitcher, and a bunch of other places where podcasts can be found. If you'd like to support the show, like, rate, review, subscribe, or go to patreon.com slash circleoffilm. You can become a patron for as little as eight cents an episode. You can get in touch with me if you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, anything at all. Twitter, at circleoffilm. Letterboxd, at circleoffilm. Uh, or email circleoffilm at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So-